Hi there, everyone, and welcome to the first of the Christmas jumper sessions for this year. Hello. Oh, do we have to turn around? Hold on. Oh, look at that. Yo. Hold on. I thought I'd had a heavy... Hello. <laughs> wait, wait. There we go. Oh, fantastic. Look at that. This has been seamless. Seamless after a long Christmas period. Can we do this? Hold on. There we go. Hiya. There we go. I'll do it as well to make you feel better. Uh, How are you doing, guys? Yeah, good. What's going on? Good. Well, we're, we're very happy to have you here to talk about all things, well, heart and graft, first of all, but mostly as well later on, uh, this little beauty which we uh, we sent out earlier. So uh, it's, been, it's been going well. Everything has pretty much landed. We've had a few people, I think, delayed over Christmas, but a little bit to be expected. But not many in the, in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, yeah, hopefully anyone who joins will be either sipping a, a cup of it already, as, as I am here, uh, so they'll have an understanding of everything we're going to talk about. Look at that. Bigger cups. <laughs> so I guess I should probably introduce you both for the people who don't know who you are. So we've got uh, James and Sean, or Sean and James, depending on which way you're looking at, uh, at this, uh, from Heart and Graft over in Manchester. Uh, so do you guys want to give a bit of an overview about kind of the history of the roastery? I know we first came and saw you back in well, 2017, I think, when you were over in uh, was it the Artwork Italia. Yeah, in Greengate. Greengate, um, yeah. And, uh, and by then you'd already been doing loads of stuff. So, yeah, do you want to give a brief history for the people on, on the call? Okay. So, yeah, we... We started back in 2015. Like you say, we're in the uh, beautiful, non-existent anymore artwork atelier. That's, uh, that's been knocked down, unfortunately. It's been developed. Yeah, it's been developed into a block oh. of flats. I think it's currently a car park. It's but, been um, upscaled by knocking yeah, it flat. Up market. Um, so I, I was working at a big commercial roastery and wanted to move over to Manchester and just wanted to do something better with coffee. So I turned up. I'd known James on and off for kind of five years beforehand. So it's almost a decade of knowing each other. Um, <laughs> which is I'm scary. sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Back I'm when sorry. we were young. Smiling. <laughs> um, That's good. And then I was like, I want to do something with specialty coffee. It was kind of everything I was doing before was very much volume focused. Lots of kind of big contracts fulfilling a need. We need eight thousand tons of this coffee, and it doesn't really matter what it tastes like. And it's like, ah, this is not what I want to do. Um, so my idea was to get a little bag of coffee, some green from some guys I knew, roast it at James's place. Um, and then just serve it on an espresso cart outside of Manchester Piccadilly, which I'm glad on a day like today, I didn't follow that path. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been just, just hard, hard work. Um, but then James was like, I want to uh, work with someone. I want to grow into a Manchester-sized roastery and then ultimately kind of a UK-sized roastery. Um, <clears throat> and it kind of just seemed like the logical conclusion, really, to kind of work together. Yeah, we, I started roasting in my garage um, about, well, it's 2009, 10. Started on a little hot top. You know those little uh, tabletop roasters? Was it purple? Uh, no, I'm afraid not, no. Originally everything was just black and gold. Yeah. Um, and then it's very Moulin Rouge, the whole thing is still very, that's like Baz Luhrmann, my hero. But um, yeah, started on a little hot top. It took uh, about an hour to do 250 grams of beans. So I kind of thought, I need to scale this up slightly. And got a little roaster in my garage, little car loan, got a little roaster, started roasting coffee. And then uh, I also started working part time at 
Coffee Fix, which is a brilliant, still brilliant little coffee shop in Gatley, suburb of Manchester. And just started learning that journey. How does it taste? How do you get to make taste good happen with coffee? You know, um, I still remember driving down to the legend Steve Layton uh, has been um, driving down. I remember my first time I drove down to get a sack, an actual sack of beans, you know, because I've started buying like four or five kilos at a time. And then the first time I bought a whole sack, I drove down, put the sack in the passenger seat, seatbelt on, drove it back to Manchester. And I was like, yeah. Um, but just started that journey, learning taste, roast, burn it, burn it, roast it. Oh no, how do I roast? Ah, oh, it doesn't taste like I wanted to. Ah, and then just that gradual process of learning, really. Um, it was called the coffee circle at the time because that's always been the vision, really, that we're all part of like the whole thing, that fascinated with the journey that flavour grows somewhere and then we're involved with it because we roast it and then people brew it and then that fits this whole circle thing. So that stayed with us, that sense of you complete the journey, you know, you people brewing at home, you complete that coffee's journey. But we also, it's like I'm from Manchester, I'm Mancunian and it's like the city, uh, at the time there was just myself and I think Ancoats started about the same time and Mancoco, Street Mancoco. And it was like this city needs roasters you know this is clearly going to be a thing so it just happened to be yeah sure and i chatted and we were like let's do this and then together we've been able to sort of scale up from and um, from being ickle to being a little little bit but not we're still quite ickle really yeah but in, um, in the grand scheme of things but yeah. a bit bigger so yeah we've grown and then we supply a lot of bars now cafes bars restaurants probably got about 120 wholesale accounts um and then but this year has all been about smashing retail and enjoying that so yeah that's well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, a couple of things that you touched on. So, I mean, the Manchester coffee scene, I mean, must have changed completely from when you started to, to where it is now. And as you said, Manchester, in the city that it is, it needs a coffee scene. It needs that going on. And then again, my second question was going to be, yeah, how, how, how have you had to change this year? Because, yeah, 120 wholesale accounts, you have to have changed. Yes, 120 down to five. And <laughs> um, so that's been interesting. Um, should I? Should it? Well, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been it's been interesting to say the least. Um, I'd imagine it's kind of a tale that's been replicated across coffee roasteries across the UK and the world, and also just different industries. So I think you kind of it's almost like adapt or die thing, isn't it? In a way, really. And it's kind of we always we always have the web business, the retail side, selling two fifty gram, five hundred gram, or even kilo bags to people at home, which has always been kind of. The wholesale side was the main focus, training, getting people the coffee they want, the machinery they need, and kind of really building that community. And then that kind of, everyone took a few months off, which was really nice for some of them, I think. They were kind of thinking, right, well, I'm going to have a few months off and then do takeaway only. But connecting with so many more people from places that we don't really know and have like a relationship with. So people kind of from further down south, people from abroad, basically buying beans has been amazing. And it's really encouraging to see people, however they stumble across you, or if they're recommended by a mate or something, it's really nice. People going, I'll oh, try this coffee, have this, and the range. So what's been really interesting for us as roasters is kind of you have a core house product usually, or a few, and people take that week in, week out, and try some different stuff as well. But the retail market is so different. People are like, what's new? What's new? What's new? Like, I've tried that. I had that last week. I want a new bag of stuff. And it's been great because we're kind of cupping more than we ever have which we thought we did a lot of cooking, but now we're just like constantly tasting stuff and going, oh, what's new? And like, I think it's really reignited a lot of kind of that discovery of coffee really in a way. It's really interesting. 
Yeah, we've again, had the team as well, haven't you? So, are you all getting involved? The whole team getting involved in all the cuppings and yeah, yeah, very much. Um, it's always been like that, really. We're just um, it, it's I guess obviously because it started with Sean and I, we, we and we developed a similar palette. We'd always sort of have like twenty coffees on the table, and we we always have like the same top three. And then maybe like that's the favourite, that's the favourite, but generally always the same sort of top three. And then um, Kieran and Mike uh, as well, uh, the other two guys, they um, sort of crack on with the cupping and the tasting as well. Kieran particularly is like driving his palate and really sort of, um, you know, he's like, mm, it's roasted banana skins. No, it's more like mushed banana. And, uh, <laughs> it's raspberry. No, it's strawberry. And then, you know, so it's nice to have that sort of to and fro. That like checking it, checking with each other. What does that taste like? What does it taste like? Um, so yeah, we all get involved with that. Fantastic, and it's good to have that challenge as well on the table, isn't it? Because otherwise, you sometimes get into a bit of a rut, don't you? You pick the same coffees from the table each time, because that's just how you how you've got into it. Mm. But but it's interesting again about your kind of your core staple coffees. You guys, I think, there's certain coffee roasters we go to for certain things. We we know people for, as kind of experts in a particular field. For you, I think I, I think it's Fair to say, Honduras is really a, a very strong uh, focus for you guys. And we know if we need a, a strong Honduras coffee, we know where we could have to, where we could go to pick one up. So, hence why we kind of moved into the um, into the Miriam Perez conversation earlier in the year uh, for Christmas. But I'm just wondering what makes for you what makes Honduras such a kind of a go-to uh, origin for you, and very specifically, I guess, what makes Comster a go-to producer for you? Um, sweeter, really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, um... yeah. I mean, that's how it all started. Um, she was studying at Bangor University. She, uh, she arrived from Marcala and she ended up in Wales somehow. Um, that's a she... change in, uh, in climate. Oh, man. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, she turned up on our doorstep at the old roastery and it was, it was one of those uh, typical Manchester days. I know it's the old the old stereotype, isn't it? But honestly, it was raining kind of up from the floor. I'm from the East Coast, so I've never seen rain like this coast. It's crazy. Um, so she turned up and she had a suitcase full of green samples. And my, my only real experience with Honduran coffees was big commercial lots. And it was kind of, you buy it at a price to bulk out a contract, essentially. And it's kind of a wash Central American with a little bit of, little bit of kind of that character and very innocuous. And Sweeter kind of just kind of, did her usual sweeter smile and was like, it's really good. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's uh, fire up the roaster. And then we tried the coffees and we all kind of cooked around the table and it was just like, these are amazing. And she was like, oh yeah, that's just the uh, standard co-op lots. So that's the, uh, the 2000 farmers or however many that make up these lots um, that are produced across the co-op. And that's our base level quality. And then she got out some different samples that were, of named micro lots from different farms amongst that was some Miriam Perez as well and in that journey started what uh, four four yeah. and a half years ago so it was a, it was a very yeah. it was a very organic journey like you know like the coffee like the whole process <laughs> but it was it was a very organic journey so yeah sweeter from, had come over from Honduras studying at Bangor came to Sears in Manchester tried coffee that was from her family her family her uncle and uh, so Miriam Perez is actually her uncle's wife and so it was all family you know we tried the coffees they were great and then Sweeter's parents and auntie came over to visit her at the end of like her year in Bangor and then we was like oh this is a great opportunity because 
and their family had been involved in coffee farming for years and we're like this is a great opportunity to do a, a talk you know so we just sort of off, off the hat uh, off the bat what's the phrase did a uh, just did a quick meeting basically set up this quick thing and then about 60 people came along which was brilliant and they were like dead moved by how interested people were about what they had done and um, you know the whole journey from going from big commercial coffee drilling down into being a specialty coffee farmer what that takes and and what you have to do and that 30-year process or anti had been through to sort of do that so it was incredibly moving to hear and they were really touched by it so that was great. And then they were saying, oh, you've got to come and visit, come and visit, you know. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, that'd be nice, you know. Not. And then I think that was in about the September or something. Um, and then Sweeter emailed in December saying, when are you coming then? And we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, really, they, with harvest season is like February, March. Uh, when are you coming? So it was like, uh, we'll come in February. Yeah. And then, so it literally was sweeter. I asked a few other people. And um, so Kieran, who's with us now, came with us. And Pete and Grindsmiths and um, Richard, who was a bespoke, who's now in New York. And we went over and then sweeter met us at the airport. And we drove four hours down to Marcala and stayed at this phenomenal, um, like, organic research station that comes to have. And just blown away by not just the intent, just everything they do. I mean, I know it's, but like they've got over 1,500 farmers farming either organically or transitioning to organic. And the detail of what they do, the scale of what they do is phenomenal. Um, and it's just full of precision and excellence and ingenuity. And it works because the coffee's delicious. And so they're just constantly like inspiring. I, literally, like you could just read what they do, hear about what they do, drink the coffee, and you think if everybody did growing, never mind coffee, if anyone did growing anything like these guys grow, and um, then the world would change. <laughs> Basically, it's phenomenal. Um, so we just enjoy a range of coffees from Comsa. It doesn't feel like you're buying coffee from one place. It feels like you're buying coffee from the world. You can cook 30 Comsa microlots and it can taste like a yoga chef and it can taste like a, a natural Nicaraguan. It can taste like a creamy Brazil. It can just taste like all different things. So we just love them and we love having two or three coffees and always a Brazilian natural from, uh, from Miriam. Sorry, Brazilian natural? <laughs> the the, the uh, Miriam natural is always like on the table blows everything else off we have natural process wise so we always have it every year oh and it is amazing 1500 1500 farmers in the co-op that's a big co-op and i guess i should explain to people that Comsa being the, the co-op which kind of has miriam perez as one of the founding members i think she she was um the o in that stands for organic so the, the plan is that everyone in that um everyone in that co-op will have said move towards organic farming so yeah it's a, a big undertaking for that many farmers to get them all all onto uh, onto organic, but I think it does show out in the cup that it's uh, it's doing the right thing. So I mean that's that's pretty good, and I guess that you've already mentioned the story there. I mean, the story behind the coffee is really quite important to you guys, isn't it? I mean, not, it's not just the, the tasting notes, it's not just the the flavors, it's the uh, it's the story behind it. Where did that story come from? What's comps are doing? Why are they why are they so important for the for the farmers and also for um, for kind of the the area that they're working in, so things like hospitals, schools, all those other bits and pieces. Sorry, sorry, but, um, 
we, we cut out for a second there. My daughter oh. has a phone on my phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll say hello to her. And you yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the story behind the, the copy is really important to you guys, isn't it? It's not just the flavour notes and um, where it's come from. It's the, the story behind it and you know, the work that comps are doing in their local community as well as their, just the coffee. And I think it all adds to, to why it's such a good way of, of producing coffee. So I know they've done quite a lot of things around hospitals and got schools out there. They're really helping those 1,500 uh, farmers and, and producers uh, mm. to improve their lot, which at the moment, especially in Honduras, it's quite a tricky place to, to be and to, to be growing now. Yeah. Yeah, fully. Um, education's been a massive thing for them. Um, there's a brilliant video called Finca Humana, um, Human Farm, which sounds a bit like a B-movie, a uh, horror <laughs> B-film or something. But... Um, I don't think, I think it's on YouTube, I'm pretty sure, but it's Finca Humana Comsa, if you look for that on YouTube, it goes through their kind of, sort of their documentary about their vision. And it very much is about that, um, obviously in Honduras, more so in the north of Honduras, there's been a lot of fun with um, basically kids having nothing to do, so they grow up and just want to get into gangs, because um, that's what everyone does. But what Comsa said is like, look, no one's born like that, We're, you just got to feed yourself with the right things and to have the opportunities, you know, that there's there for you. And um, so what they've really focused on is the school and really sewing in the values of um, like feeding yourself with good things. So they've got a brilliant Montessori school there and that, that, that it's just such a happy place. Like the school is a really great place. Um, and yeah, the education, uh, learning languages, learning about music, all these different things they can they stimulate kids with in all sorts of ways just to give children the opportunity to grow organically into something like great kind of carries through into how they do um, coffee as well. Mm. Um, and it's been transformational for them. It, you can see the next generation of farmers coming through. And um, so it isn't just, uh, you know, the, the older farmers, it's all their grandchildren and all the rest of it. Um, and it has been very special. And so for them, <clears throat> sort of sewing into the fabric of their culture, their society is as relevant as sowing the soil. You know, it's, it's, it's as important. It goes hand in hand. It's not like a, a nice afterthought. It's literally part of what they do. Um, so that's been really special to be part of as well. And, and it's really important as well because you get to that stage where that, that generation of farmers now, they're, they're going to be transitioning out soon. And, and the way things are going, there could be nobody in some areas to come and take that up. So making it a, a viable kind of thing to do and a fun thing to do, I think is going to be really important. Yeah. So yeah, it's amazing seeing that. And I think I saw that film when, uh, when it was going to cut north, uh, yeah. way back when it was yeah. cut north. Then. Uh, <laughs> So that was, uh, that was good fun. So I guess now, if we talk about this particular coffee, so this one, as you mentioned, uh, I guess the first thing to point out about this coffee is it's the Miriam Perez Natural that we brought in this time. Probably the most obvious thing about it is this is actually Miriam Perez on this <laughs> yeah. bag here. So um, it's, again, it's taking that story. So what, what made you put Miriam on, on, the, on the front of her own coffee? What, what, what kind of decided that was the, the way to go? I think... Like you said, this, the story element of coffee is very important to us and many roasters, but also it's, it's the flavour as well. That's, that's so crucial. Um, we've, all, we've all seen those coffees, especially back in the day, kind of they have a fantastic story, but they just don't quite cook well. They don't quite cook mustard in that way. And this is clearly a coffee that's very, very, very good. Um, and most of the coffees, pretty much all the coffees from Comsa are 
exceptional and then you start splitting hairs and getting different micro lots so we've got three micro lots from Miriam this year that one's a natural uh, I think being able to link all these coffees whether it's from Indonesia Nicaragua India Kenya Honduras back to a person so it is linking it back to Miriam and it's kind of on the nose isn't it but the most obvious way was put a picture of her and she was mortified at first she was like no don't do it don't put my face on the back and then she was like oh okay i kind of I kind of been bullied into it by these by these horrible coffee roasters in manchester um but it's just that whole link of kind of this this was made by a person we do it with we do it with wines don't we it's the uh the 1992 jean something vintage from bordeaux and you're like who's that guy I don't know who that guy is unless you work deep in wine. And I think a very easy way of doing that is going, this is Miriam Perez. This is the coffee that she grew on her farm with her family. And it tastes like this and it's brilliant. And I think we'll always, as long as we're a roastery, uh, we'll always do that. We'll always kind of have that link. But the story has to, has to kind of, has to mean something. Um, like you say, it's very important, but then also it can't just cook badly and have a wonderful story. So it's kind of, mm. And it goes back to the way comps to work. Everything's, it's a holistic approach to everything. So they could just produce amazing coffee and not care about how they do it, how it affects the people that they work with and how it affects the environment. So they've got actually, you know what, why can't you do everything? We always say, oh, you can't do everything, but why can't you do everything? Why can't you look after the soil for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation? What's the, uh, what's the saying? A society only grows great when uh, old men plant trees that they'll never see grow. Um, That's deep. Very profound. <laughs> I've had a lot of coffee this morning, but wow. it's, it's very true. These, these guys, like Miriam, Miriam and Rodolfo, have been doing this for 30 years. They're not thinking, oh, I'm going to make this much money this year. That's a byproduct of what they do, so they can do it next year. But they're thinking, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, that's their... That's their way of thinking. We think next week, next month, next year, they're thinking 20, 30 years down the line, how great can Comsa be? Why can't Comsa be a nationwide co-op in Honduras as opposed to just being in Marcala? And it shows with the outreach work they do with various people. So, yeah. yeah. I know you asked about a label on a bag. But, but no, no, it, is, it does tie into it because um, it's, yeah, like Sean said, it, you know, look, coffee's got a terrible, terrible colonial past. Like, a lot of bad happened and, but, but it's not just restricted to coffee. That's just many, you know, many countries doing bad things. And, and in the last 20 years, the movement into specialty coffee has really tried to, I don't know, it's like sometimes you feel like David versus Goliath. There's this massive industry that you try to do a little bit in as much as you can. And that's why having something like this is like when you find something, look, I can't change it overnight. We can't change the way coffee is traded. The, the, the amount coffees are, are paid, amount is paid for coffees, how farmers are treated, the ethics. You can't change it all overnight with a magic wand. So when you find an opportunity to say, like, these guys are doing everything really well, you know, the, the way they're treating the earth, the way they've built their society, their culture, the coffee they produce is phenomenal. So it's like they are an answer. Like, they're a little chink of an answer. And so, and Miriam is a big driving force of that. Um, and it's this thing of, like, Farmers make choices that create the flavor in the cup. And it's kind of, like Sean said, with wine, we, we, we kind of respect that. We understand that, ah, these producers of grapes have produced wine and they have made choices. But coffee's sort of been, such a history of being commodified, it kind of detaches from that. And 
So anything we can do to address that, to say this flavor is because of smart farmers who've made great decisions and created flavor. So that was part of putting the face on, the name on. And it's funny when people say, um, oh, is that actually her? I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's her name. That's her face, you know, because it's a new thing. And it's like, yeah. What I liked was when I came to collect the coffee from you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she's actually using it as a WhatsApp picture now, isn't she? So she's obviously overcome that uh, that challenge with having a face on on the bag. Yeah, <laughs> this is quite funny. Uh, but at least really nicely onto my next bit, which is around kind of the flavours in this coffee and how they got there. And the and the I'm going to use the word processing, James. You might uh, I think jump in. And, and no, it gets all off if I try to call it fermentation. Everyone shouts at me, but uh, yeah, no. But it, it is, isn't it? And it's important to understand that this coffee doesn't get good by accident. This, this, somebody doesn't just go and plant a coffee and grow an entire crop and it's, it's going to be perfect. It doesn't happen that way. And as you said, the circle, there's so many places in, in, in coffee where things can go wrong or things can go well. But there's so many places all the way from yeah, planting the tree where you're planting it, what you're planting it with, how you're picking it, when you're picking it. And then down to the to the processing. So this coffee is a natural process. So we might have a lot of people who have got this coffee as, as maybe a, a Christmas gift, not necessarily massively into speciality coffee. So it'd be interested if you want to kind of give an overview of, of natural processing uh, to give people an understanding of, of why it's so tricky to get some of these flavours and why you really need to be on the ball when, you, when you're doing it. And um, yeah, um, so very much depends on where you are in the world, how you treat your cherries. Um, <laughs> <my turn>. uh, <laughs> but uh, you, where you are, depending on the heat, humidity, when you've harvested, because um, if when you've harvested, uh, what temperature is, what humidity is like, all these things factor in, which is why local knowledge is so important. And so uh, generally, I mean, it used to be very simple. I mean, processing didn't used to be a thing. until like, again, 20 years ago, it was just, it was just, it wasn't really talked about. Coffee was just pulped, and that's it, you know. But now, because it influences flavour, uh, we, we know about this. There's washed coffee, uh, there's honey processed, there's uh, pulp natural, there's natural. There's all these different things, and they all are different ways of... Uh, it, well, it is fermentation, because basically you're picking a cherry, and then as soon as the cherry is picked, uh, you've then just got basically sugars acting on the seed inside the coffee cherry. So... As soon as it's picked, the decisions that you're making from that point, um, including what it looks like when you've picked it, if it's ripe and red, it's going to be just right. And then you pick a cherry and then you think, right, what is the best way of getting the flavor, full flavor out of this, out of this coffee? Um, natural process is, uh, well, it's the one that's been done. It's historically, I mean, Ethiopia, um, it's kind of like the motherland of coffee anyway and of natural processing. Um, and but basically it's you leave the whole coffee cherry to dry um, and then so as the flesh and the sugars um, all dry on the seed of the coffee that imparts a lot of that fruity flavor a lot of that quality the sweetness and the body to that seed to the to the what we now call a bean um, to to that and then that's where all that flavor comes from so basically you just got to imagine all that kind of fruity and loveliness all that juice of the coffee cherry all slowly kind of reacting on the coffee seed that imparts flavor um, and that's where we get all that kind of big boozy flavor natural from um, so that's the natural process where the coffee cherry has been left whole 
and then left to dry, um, usually on raised beds and in the sun. It's really, this is why local knowledge is so important because you have to know, you have to have real good control over the temperature, how much is fermenting when, you can't let it get wet, you can't let it over ferment. There's all sorts of decisions you've got to make. You've got to turn it over so it evenly ferments. Obviously, if you leave all the cherries laid out flat on one side, it's, um, the fermentation is going to be uneven, so you have to turn it over at regular intervals. Um, there's also loads of local knowledge, depending on... Uh, it's got to get to a bit technical, but you've got various yeasts and microfungus in the air that starts acting with the coffee cherry, and all those things influence the flavour um, as well. But you can go down this rabbit hole of geek um about all that kind of stuff but um it suffice it to say leave the whole coffee cherry um out drying and make sure it dries evenly and that's a basic what natural processing is and that's it because if you, you mentioned a lot of things which could go wrong there and i guess a lot of people would make those mistakes and that's why i guess making sure you're, you're paying people a fair price to make sure they've got that knowledge and they can spend that time and that effort learning these skills to make sure that these amazing coffees can still be here in five ten years uh, is, is going to be absolutely key. And I guess for the Miriam pears, that's where it gets that rum and raisin from. You get that fruitiness and the and that kind of the boozy notes from that natural process fermentation. So very much like a wine or a beer, you're getting that kind of that alcoholic taste, that uh, that ethanol, I guess it is, which is kind of be uh, kind of giving it that hit. So I think that's. It. I mean, it comes through. This is the third time. I think the third crop that we've tasted from you, and it's. It's, it's even it's possible getting better every time, which is which is pretty amazing. And just something else that we notice as well is when we're talking about sustainability and all the organic uh, stuff, we notice that you've uh, you've changed bags as well. This last set into the uh, ET four, so something that we're very keen on. So we're we're starting to take bags back to recycle because we understand that again, coffee has got many many problems in it across the <laughs> across its. Uh, this entire process is, well, we can't solve some of them. We don't, make, um, we don't make coffee in the UK, so there's always going to be an environmental impact bringing the coffee to us. What we're trying to do is make sure that we can move it as much as we can so that we can control. So the bags themselves, we're bringing them back to recycle. Obviously, you're moving from kind of that, that dual-layer foil line into more of a plastic. What, what kind of made that, uh, that leap for you? I think... Um... It's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it, really? You, uh, like you say, we're importing something that comes from various parts of the world, and there's no way around that. So we're, we're situated in Manchester in the UK. We're not growing coffee in the UK yet, uh, not on a commercial scale. I was going to say, um, behind, yeah, you've got pretty good plants in the, uh, in the roastery, though. By yeah, these, uh, these, are, these are coffee plants. But yeah, in front of us, there's a load. Um, we're trying. Think of Manchuria. We've just been really tight northerners, so we're like, if we grow it ourselves, we're going to fly Miriam over and get her to teach us how to farm. And then we'll be like, wow, this is actually really difficult. Uh, we'll just stick to roasting. I think on the, uh, the recyclable stuff, so we, we do it on a small scale here. Uh, we do it on a larger scale as well. We uh, use reusable tubs for our wholesale. Um, we kind of, at first we were like, oh, lots of people won't get into it. They just want convenience. And we got in touch with all of our wholesale customers and they were like, this is amazing. Why don't we just do this? Less waste for them to get rid of. Less waste just going into landfill. Um, especially plastic and metallized waste can take up to half a, half a century to biodegrade even more. A few hundred years, some of the types of plastic. Um, I think it's kind of our responsibility. So 
we, we do whatever we can to make sure that we're as sustainable as possible. So this is a step and then further down the line, we may switch packaging again, maybe a different way. If you come see us at the roastery, you can bring a jam jar and fill it with a hundred grams of coffee beans or a kilo or whatever you want. Um, that's a and I think jam it, jam. Yeah, massive, massive jam jar. <laughs> it, um, it all relates back to kind of, I think we've learned a lot from Comsa, really. I've always been into, uh, I used to garden for a living. I'm from Lincolnshire, so it's lots of green space. And I think whatever you can do to reduce your impacts and not just go, oh, well, I'll try and not make as much mess as possible, um, but improve. So why can't coffee farming be something that isn't, this thing that just destroys swathes of the rainforest and destroys parts of the planet. It can be something that is symbiotic. So it's interesting with Miriam. So the whole Comsa thing is we're, we're organic, whether that's a new member who's gone from using evil, evil Monsanto, if any of you are boo, watching, boo, 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 oh, you're fired. Um, <laughs> what a mess you've made. Using the, uh, using the pesticides and the fertilizers and the seeds that they sell to you that don't work and destroy the planet. Um, if you, if I if I end up dead, by the way, then you know why. You know why. I really don't like that. Um, if a new start at Comsa uh, Farmer, it's like right. Well, your yield's going to go down. You're gonna you're gonna probably produce less coffee this year. But in ten years' time, your soil will be better. Your yields may even be better, but your quality will be better, and you'll earn more money, and you'll be producing better coffee in a better way. And then you have farmers like Miriam who are like. Yeah, I'm organic, but I'm also farming biodynamically, which is a fascinating subject for another live, I feel, because it's a whole other avenue to go down. But that idea that we're not put on the planet to destroy it and take from it, it's kind of why can't we live symbiotically? Um, so a guy called Rudolf Steiner back in the 20s, I think, came up with this idea of, right, well, organic farming is the way to go to save the planet. No one listened to him in the 20s, which was very foolish because we'd probably be better off now. Um, but he was like, why can't we use kind of mysticism and holistic processes to say, you know what, this is how you should farm. So you don't just knock all the trees down and plant a plantation. You go, what trees will make my plantation better and encourage wildlife? And we're starting to work with more groups around the world now. Um, particularly in India, like they have, what, 80, 90 species of different kind of nesting birds on this plantation that we work with in India. Um, and they're going more and more organic and more kind of biodynamic by accident. Um, and I think people are really into that. So if we can do something like buying recyclable bags, then that's a small step and whatever we can improve, we'll always try and do. It's, it's how easy it's made available to us. You know, in an ideal world, um, we can now buy these bags because suppliers are realizing that that is, that is important to people. And that's the only way anything changes, when there's demand for it. So the more people are saying, we want more sustainable, we want more recyclable, we want to do um, uh, zero waste packaging, the more people that becomes like a, a big move in culture, then the more obviously capitalism gets behind it. Because like, oh, people want this, great. So it's yes. like, well, brilliant. The more we can demand that, then it will just be there available for us to be able to choose to, to package it like that. And mm. um, yeah, so ideally we, that's, <laughs> we, we'd love to have a completely um, zero waste policy for all our wholesale customers um, and then do what we can to, to help with the sort of the retail side as well. Fantastic. And excellent. I think we're, we're probably getting towards the end. So I've got a couple of questions for you guys around kind of what's next for Heart and Graph? What's, what's your plans 
kind of moving on from now. More of the same, more purple, maybe. The same. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, always. Always more purple. <laughs> you know that. Why did you ask that? Uh, <laughs> question. I just wanted to confirm that you are going to go more purple this year. But yeah. <laughs> well, we're yeah, with that. RAL 4007. <laughs> that's, that's the official colour. <laughs> that's, that's the official your, your, um, yeah, your colour palette one, is it? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so I think what's been really interesting is we've had a bit of time, so with, especially with being locked in your houses and being in a roastery that's not as volume-focused as it would be if it was the wholesale side and really kind of roasting... 50 different coffees or whatever, maybe not that many in a day, but that kind of range, it's been really interesting to see. Well, it's kind of a new business in a way. It's, um, it's kind of more of the same, carry on, but also it's very much new ground. Um, and I think that idea of just finding better and better coffees, more of them, getting them to more people, whether that's through wholesale or retail, and both really, is the way we're going to go. And training and building community. Because I think if there's one thing that we've learned from this year is actually a lot of people like oh, isolation. It's very, very lonely. But that outreach that you're working with people, whether it's just texting someone and going, how are you? How are you doing? Or inviting someone down for a cup of coffee at a distance. So I think our focus is going to be getting that community kind of back together in a way. Uh, I think you've got a lot of people that have been split apart and separated by what's happened, but also there's a lot more want and need for people being drawn together. So I think that's the thing. So coffee is kind of a, a vehicle for that. I've always seen it's kind of why, why I do this personally is you get someone who is buying something like Lavazza from a cash and carry and they go, this is awful, but it's convenient. And then you turn up at their place with a bag of, bag of something from heart and graft and you're like, try this. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. That's delicious. I love this whole ethos as well. And I love you guys and I love the community. And then, We've had customers like that for five years now who are kind of, there's a lot of coffee roasters out there, but they're kind of your tribe in a way and it feels really kind of nice and you see how they develop and people opening little businesses who are absolutely terrified, which is a scary thing. And then they've kind of blossomed into these people who've gone, well, I might open a second place or this is my place and I'm a, I'm a pillar of the community. Coffee Fix are a key one in a, sorry, I keep, no, keep right. stopping you. Um, coffee Fix are a key one. It's kind of, they're out in Gatley, which is a little suburb of Manchester, and there's people kind of going, queuing around the corner um, for a cup of coffee. And I imagine it's replicated all over, and it's, that's maybe their one conversation outside of watching the telly or ringing some of their family on the phone that they might have. And it's, I think you can, you can put as much emphasis on that as you want. That could be a huge thing to them, going out for a cappuccino or whatever and saying hello to a barista, and then you walk home, and that's made your day that little bit better. So, yeah, community, I think, is our key this year that's fantastic good to hear um oh yeah uh three three things what more off more more purple uh <laughs> clearly i don't know how actually but yeah. dave's told me the floor. so we're gonna have to next time you come the floor purple, with purple. Floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, two the two main values are you complete the journey so people community you complete the journey from farmers roasters coffee drinkers and lovers it's a community of people because you complete the journey without you finishing a cup of coffee it doesn't have anywhere to go and kind of we're the fulcrum point for that link between like farmers flavor people so you complete the journey so however we can develop that idea you know whether that is through social media 
through developing a new website, just through developing that whole concept. I mean, which is very simple. It's nothing new, really. It's just us telling you about great coffees. You tell us what you need to help brew them. And um, if you've got a sage machine, you know, you know, sage sales have gone through the roof. And we're finding people wanting to, some people want a nice stable house coffee and some people want a real fruit driven, like beast of a coffee. And so like, well, how can we help you figure those things out, you know, and be approachable. Don't be judgmental. Look, if you're new on a coffee journey, don't feel you have to know everything before you start to know something. You know, we've always valued that and, and long may that continue. And then the third one being we're, we're a Manchester coffee roastery. Uh, we're here to serve the city to make sure that our wholesale customers, when they do want to kick back up, that we're here. You know, we're here ready for whatever they need, whether it's training, equipment, and your phenomenal range of coffees. Uh, whatever it is, we're here to be a coffee roaster for Manchester and beyond. We're actually supplying more places beyond Manchester now, which is great, really exciting for us. Um, but those key things really are more... It's what we do, and it's it's what we've got a vision for to continue to do and build and do it bigger and better. Really. Fantastic. Well, that's been really, really insightful. So, Sean, James, thank you very much for, for joining us today. We'll let you get back on with, uh, with your day jobs now. Yes. And yeah, I've got more coffee to drink. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for joining us with the Christmas hats as well. And, thank yeah, you. we look forward to 2021 with more purple, more heart and grass. And just yeah, more Cheers, community. Dave. You guys are legends. Well done. You're doing brilliant work. Take care. I love what you do. Thank you very much, guys. And thanks. Stay safe. Bye.